Here we are, episode 22 of Built for Better. Today I had Mitch Lingard on. Mitch was so open and honest from how he went from rock bottom, uh, contemplated attempting suicide, all the way to now doing what he loves, uh, having a huge impact on people's lives working in the health and fitness industry. Mitch is very raw, open and honest. Um, but yeah, really leaves a good message at the end of the podcast and some tips on how you can really win the day. I uh, really enjoyed this chat. Before we get into it, let's roll the intro. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more wasted energy spending the pace for every hour of waste. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but time's a currency. I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing your nudes. Hey, legend. Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me on, man. How you been going? Yeah, good. Good. Just um, adjusting to the changes of life and uh, trying to make something of it, you know? Yeah. How's that going for you, the changes? Uh, look, it was hard at the start. Um, call me a conspiracy theorist, but um, I see the world in a very different way to a lot of other people. Um, so I believe in a lot of things that people question or doubt or that challenges their belief system. So I pretty much, when this stuff went down, I sort of went into a mad doomsday prep um, and just got a lot of supplies and stuff in case um, things really, well, you'd say shit hit the fan, you know. Um, I kind of prepared like that for a good week. So I'm doomsday prep ready moving forward. You got resilience written on your shirt and the banner behind you nails it to a T, I guess. Yeah, well, that's right. Like, it, yeah, my life has been nothing short of resilience. Um, hence why I called uh, the business resilience. Um, actually. Uh, I watched the movie The Pursuit of Happiness. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's really good. Uh, Will Smith, where he raises his son from pretty much they sleep in a in a, t- a public toilet. It's a true story. And, um, yeah, and it was all about resilience. And then I watched that movie and then I was opening uh, a place and I was like, I'm going to call it resilience so, with a Z because uh, resilience with an S was taken. So I sort of put my own spin on it. Yeah, love it, love it. Um, well, I haven't actually watched it, so I'll have to jump on and give it a give it a watch. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely a good good movie. Eh? like real heartfelt. Like you probably almost want to have a cry. Yeah. So, so we met at Real Movement Camp on the sunny coast at Potsy's, um, Exelto. Yeah. yeah, that's right. They're always a cool experience, Real Movement Camps, and they always sort of bring a little unknown. You find yourself a little weakness and something you need to work on. Definitely. What's been, what's been your experience since joining Real Movement Project? Oh, man, it's changed my life. Um, yeah, what I, what I thought I knew about uh, training and eating and exercise and working out, and, you know, I didn't have a, I didn't have a bloody clue. And the amount of education and and uh, knowledge that I've acquired since joining the real movement is just there's nothing quite like it. Um, and I'm absolutely really privileged to be a part of it. Um, yeah, like Keegan's a great guy and he's very supportive. And um, I jumped on was it 
started last year right at the start when he started real movement um, the second time around and I was one of the first to jump in on it and um, always been into weights and stuff but I've obviously got a, a martial arts background too. Um, he had worked with a couple of guys sort of similar to myself and I thought this would be cool. Like I was really into the philosophies of um, living and, and, and the different things that he, that he talks about. You know, it's uh, really... Uh, 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 exciting to be a part of and and yeah it just resonates with me and what i want to do you know like i just love real movement it's great it's impacted me in in oh, every single way um even with my business now it's like you know i'm helping people feel better in their body um you know giving them that ability to feel better and you know their knees the hips the ankles the, the shoulders you know it's just in their back so, yeah, man, real movement is fucking dope. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what is your kind of main principles around resilience? Like, are you still martial arts or is it more strength, mobility? Yeah, like, obviously, uh, my career's changed so many times as I've become an adult. Um, as a child, I wanted to be a PE teacher, so I didn't fall too short of the mark, but... Resilience has started off as predominantly martial arts and it's evolving as I've evolved. Um, and real movements had a lot to do with that. Uh, really started to incorporate the strength and movement aspect of things. Um, posting a lot of the stuff that I do with people and myself on social media. Um, so I'm moving more towards like a holistic way to live using martial arts as a tool um, and also the strength and movement as a tool to feel better, you know, mentally, physically, uh, spiritually, you know, and even emotionally. Like we kind of, in my own experience, we need to be doing martial arts. We need to be doing strength. You know, we need to be doing ability. We need to be hitting all these little targets for ourselves to become the best version of who we are. So. 100%. And it's like. To nail everything we want to nail, it's really like there's not enough time in a day, really, is there? Oh, man. <laughs> My partner's like, you're obsessed. You're just obsessed. I'm like, actually, I am obsessed. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, be You've like, been oh, obsessed I've... with other things, eh? Hey, that's not as good as training. Mate, I've been obsessed with the wrong kinds of things, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's jump back a little bit. Uh, India upbringing, John, tell us what we are like at school um, and then post-school leading into, you know, creating resilience. Yeah, cool. So uh, I grew up in Brisbane, um, Strathpine, Bray Park. Um, I, I was really good at rugby league when I was young. Uh, I was a real good um, uh, offensive player. Um, you know, if, if you had asked anyone when I was younger, you know, what would Mitch be when he's a, when he's an adult or when he's older? They would have said he would have been representing Australia in NRL. Um, I was very good at it. Um, and I knew I was good at it too, you know. I was very popular. I'd win all the sports at school. Um, didn't even have to train and I'd, I'd win the sprints, the shot put, long jump, all, all the whole thing, go to districts and all that, you know, when we used to run barefoot on the grass. And, um, yeah, and I, you know, I always sort of, where I grew up, I had an older brother and he sort of got caught up with the wrong crowd early. Uh, you know, environment's got a lot to do with, with everything. And uh, he sort of was hanging out with the wrong kind of people and I sort of looked up to him being four years my senior. And um, 
yeah, sort of got, I always knew that these crowds were around, you know, and they were pretty rough crew. Um, drugs was a, like a big thing, like that was around. A lot of people were taking speed and stuff like that, young kids even. And um, that was always around in the shadows and stuff. And so playing league and going to school um, and then, uh, yeah, sort of, uh, I started smoking pot at age nine, believe it or not, um, with some older guys that I knew. Uh, and then I, at 11 years old, I had a very scary experience. I'm, I'm trying to think now whether it was that I was smoking pot with these older guys. A lot of them are um, dead or in jail now. Um, and I think that this pot was actually laced with DMT because I had a really full-on hallucinative experience like nothing that I'd ever had before. And as I got older, which I'll talk about more, I got into heavier drugs, but nothing was quite as um, full-on as this experience, which sort of, yeah, it, it left me with panic attacks for probably a year and a half, two years later, and that was this age 11. 11 years old, eh? Yeah, at 11, um, smoking pot with some older guys like an hour and a half before football training, which I was the captain of the team of, the A team. Um, yeah, then I kind of went home and greened out, etc. cetera. Um, but, yeah, kept playing footy and stuff. Had these panic attacks for like, yeah, a year and a half after that had happened. And um, I didn't tell my parents because I was really ashamed of my actions um, so I did, kept it all to myself and uh, call it pride or ego at a young age, whatever. But, um, yeah, I continued on through school. Everything just went sort of as normal. When I was young, around that age, I was, I was out stealing quite a bit. We'd get the train from where we lived. We'd jump the train, like not pay for our tickets. We'd go to the city or we'd go to shopping centres and we'd steal things. And, you know, um, graffiti was very big. When I was young, where I grew up, everyone was sort of known by their tag or their alias. Um, so that's sort of how you were known on the street with different kinds of street gangs and that kind of thing. Um, where we grew up in Strathpine, just to sort of paint the picture for you, is like uh, it was It was quite, uh, it was like sort of in the transition of uh, it was something and then it got sort of, uh, there was a lot of abandoned buildings, um, a lot of fences around buildings, a lot of smashed buildings and graffiti and that kind of thing, even in the main street. Uh, and like I said, um, amphetamines was highly used by a lot of people, a lot of young kids in the area and stuff like that. Um, I, I remember hearing stories of, you know, kids as young as 13 shooting up and stuff like that. I remember uh, another time I was 11 and a half, one of these guys, he's in jail now, but he he, had, he like he used to shoot up meth and he's like, come on, come here, little lingo, I'll give you a shot in the neck. And I was like, no, nah, man, like because my mum always taught, like she like, warned me about what was out there in the world and I sort of got a little intrigued and wanted to know about it, you know. And, um, so these kinds of things were right around me. Um, didn't do heavy drugs when I was that young, but like I said, I did smoke the pot and was into stealing and that kind of thing. And Yeah, and when I got to sort of 12, I sort of started to lose my speed that I had. Um, and like, and I'm not, I'm not um, how would I say, I'm not proud of this but I did bully people when I was younger and it was like I was so advanced at a young age um I was very very tall uh, very sort of mature in a, in a lot of aspects but not in, a, in, a, in other ways and I, I did pick on people and 
like I was saying, when I got to 12, I, um, I lost my speed in running a little bit. Like my edge was just slightly gone. And then as I hit puberty at 13, my back, it developed a really severe kyphosis. So like, it's, you know, like hunchback and Notre Dame style. And uh, the pain was just like uh, unbearable. And um, my, it just deformed the whole way. I went, my shoulders rolled forward, my neck came forward. Um, I was in a lot, a lot of pain all the time. And what this actually did was it made it extremely hard for me to play league um, and getting tackled, like, the impact was just so uh, painful on my body. And I didn't have the hand and eye coordination, didn't have the speed. Everything just went. So I kind of lost everything that had happened to me, all my passion and skills and everything that I thought I did have the plans of NRL and this is all just gone warm out the window. Um, so this really crushed me and it was very difficult to deal with it, you know, at 13 um, then I left well, primary school, went to a high school, St. Patrick's College, all boys school. My parents always paid for me to get a good education. Um, and then I stopped playing league that year of 13. Like when I was 13, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I'm not good at it like I once was. I just don't feel like I want to be doing this anymore. It made me really depressed. Um, still carrying a really severe curvature in the spine. Um, and what I then did was, Logan, I, uh, I, I stopped playing league and, and then started doing Muay Thai kickboxing. And uh, I found that to be a really great vent for my anger. Um, those of you that have done martial arts would know that, uh, you know, it is a great way to vent anger and, and these kinds of things. So I did that and, and that was fun. Um, did enjoy that. And, you know, probably... It, almost a year into it, sort of just dropped away from that and then just started, you know, getting on the piss every weekend and drinking all the time. Like That was sort of what we were looking forward to the most come Friday, you know, um, after school. This is age 13. Um, and, uh, yeah, sort of just abused alcohol. Didn't smoke pot a great deal. A little bit, you know, 14, 15, but that experience at 11 sort of frightened me off the pot a bit. And... Uh, yeah, I went to went to St. Patrick's College at Shorncliffe. Um, great school there. Um, grade 8, 9, and then 10. So sort of through year 10, I wanted to become a tattoo artist. Um, so I used to draw a lot and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, and then left uh, St. Pat's and went to Pine Rivers. That was a, a state school near home. Um, that was co-ed, so that was exciting because I went to the all-boys school. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, it was sort of partying every weekend when I went there. I thought, this is great, and just sort of got into the party and a lot. Still was drawing all the time and that, and um, if I had known the amount of tattoos now as I did back then, I probably would have got into the industry. But, um, yeah, so I went to Pine Rivers for two terms in grade 11, and then I uh, I dropped out and, and started, like, really getting caught up with the wrong crew. They were always around and stuff like that, but I sort of, went at this sort of life pretty hard and was just getting wasted every day. We are drinking every day. I, was, I would say that I was an alcoholic. At, yeah, 16 going on 17. We are just drinking every day. Goon sacks down at the creek, you know, just get written off like it, like it was, you know, we were just getting up to get drunk and get wasted and go and party and, you know, go and hang out with girls and that kind of thing, you know, and get, get stoned and 
You know, it's just like Groundhog Day every day. Um, you still there? Yeah. What sort of mental state were you in at this time? Oh, look, you know, it's a good question. Like I was, I was uh, emotionally pretty weak. Like, oh, how would I say? Uh, I was, I didn't like who I was becoming and that's why I was sort of getting on the piss more and more and trying to sort of escape from reality, you know. Uh, the mental state was pretty shit. Like we'd only sort of enjoy ourselves when we were wasted, you know, and that was every day. So um, mental state was pretty crappy. And then sort of my 17th birthday, I had like a, a, an ecstasy tablet and then that's sort of where that kicked off and I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. It made me feel really good about myself. And then um, uh, I started doing like more serious stuff. I started doing breaking enters on businesses and stealing money. And I remember going clubbing, um, yeah, 16, fake ID in the valley, going out in there and thought that was the best thing since sliced bread going out and fake ID and drinking and carrying on, you know. Um, and As I, we do. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, you you are a product of who you're hanging around. Um, and, yeah, like when I was around that age, I'd just hang out with the wrong crew and we'd, you know, break into places, at businesses at night time and steal things and steal money, you know, and then I, I'd plan to go out and club on the weekends. And, um, yeah, that was life for like, probably a year, I reckon, just doing that kind of stupid shit. Um, then I got into, then I started working and always kind of sort of worked. Um, was in the uh, fuel industry installing um, electronic uh, automatic tank gauges on uh, fuel stations. I did that work in a way as well when I turned 18 and and um, every sort of weekend was go out, you know, get fucked up. And then I started taking speed, like eating um eating uh, amphetamines. So just eat it and drink all night and smoke all night. And I was always smoke cigarettes. And um, due to my injury in the back, having uh, these injuries at 13, I developed a really bad asthma. Um, and I would smoke as well and end up being super wheezy. But I can remember, Logan, like through my teen years, sort of 15 to probably even like 19 or 20, like I, I remember not even being able to like, I would always have diarrhea, like, and it be the nutri- nutrition and the food that I was eating. Like, I would, I don't remember doing that many solid poos, like, through those years. Like, it was always diarrhea. Um, that just shows how, you know, malnutrition I was at the time and how poor um, my health was, you know. Yeah, it's, um, it's crazy the, like, response your body can give that people don't take note to. Mm. You know, like there'd be a lot of people um, listening to this whose bodies are showing signs of unhealthiness that are kind of ignoring them. Oh, definitely. Like, and, you know, the funny thing is about that, like then who do you go and get advice from? And people go to their local doctor, you know, and, and, and like, oh, you know, I'm wrong a lot of the time and I'll admit that. I get it wrong a lot and I like to get down to the facts of getting it right together. So, you know, I may be wrong in saying this, but I think that I'm right. So I'll continue to think that I'm right until I'm proven wrong. Um, 
But you go to your local doctor, and you know what I mean? Like, he's going to prescribe you with some sort of drug, you know, and that's been made in a laboratory and say that this is what's going to cure you. You know, I remember getting these chest infections a lot, like through my, through my um, you know, double-digit years up to, until I was even like 22, chest infections all the time, even like up until I was 25, 26, 27. Always get chest infections. He didn't have antibiotics. But I remember because my immune system was down so low when I was in my teen years because the poor nutrition and stuff. Mate, I was on antibiotics like, fuck, it felt like all year round, you know? Um, and, like, back to what I was saying, like, you go to the doctor, he's going to prescribe you drugs. Like, I remember, like, in the last couple of years, like, I remember I got crook and I thought, all right. And this is when I really, you know, I started getting into, like, expand the mind and like chakra systems and third, opening your third eye and stuff. And I remember this a couple of years ago, I went down to the doctor and I thought, this would be interesting. And he literally looked up the symptoms on his computer, found a fucking antibiotic that matched the symptoms and said, here, try that. Like, fuck me dead, mate. You go to medical school for four years to search that up. I can do that on Google myself. You can do that. Anyone can do that. And this is the kind of, health advice that we're getting out there in the world today. What a fucking joke. You know what I mean? 100%. And like now you're so deeply passionate with health. Like where was the turning point in your life that you're like, this isn't the person that I want to be. If I keep going down this road, I'm not going to end up, you know, in a good position. Yeah, for sure. So like probably go from when I was about 17, 18, um, yeah, I was going out club and met a girl out club and we sort of got together and then we were on and off and then she got pregnant. I was working underground. Um, then we got our own little place together and we had our son, my son Charlie Lingard. Shout out to you, Charlie. Um, yeah, then we had a Charlie baby. Now. We did, uh, he's 11 this year. Yeah. So I was 19. Uh, yeah, 19 when she was pregnant, 20 when he was born. Um and, uh, yeah, then we didn't really work out and I just sort of had him every sort of weekend, you know, for one night over the next sort of couple of years. We tried to work it out, but it didn't work, you know. We're better off not being together. And I sort of, I like getting on, you know, I used to get on um, on the speed and stuff, on the on the, on the the meth, like quite a bit. like. And then I thought, oh, how am I going to get, you know, get it for free because it costs money. So I just started selling it just to, so I could have my own stuff for free. and um. Yeah, I just sort of did that while I worked and would get off my head every weekend. And and then um, while I was working underground, because I built the tunnels in Brisbane, Clem 7, Airport Link, Legacy Way. And, um, yeah, I remember uh, we tried to make it work, me and his mum, one last time. didn't sort of crush me. And then I developed a bit of a bad habit. I was started smoking glass pipes. And I can tell you right now, there's a fucking epidemic of meth use in Australia. And if people don't know that, seriously, your head's in the sand. If you see anyone that looks off at the shops and that, it's because they're on meth. Um, and I developed a bit of a bad habit with this and then I stopped working and then I just started just being an idiot, you know, um, just partying real, like, shit, I didn't know what day of the week it was kind of thing. In one year there, I remember, like, seeing more, more sunrises like, then people had hot dinners. Like, I was just up all night for the year, it felt like. 
And um, remember staying awake for one time there for fucking five days straight. I was awake. Um, that was really interesting. But um, you know, <laughs> I remember uh, I was with this Sheila, and she was just using me for drugs and free ride. But what happened was, well, so I used to have like you know uh, firearms and stuff that I'd keep around me because I was really paranoid and stuff. And I remember I thought, fuck, I hate myself so much. I just fucking hate who I am. I hate, I, I'm physically damaged in my body. You know, I'm, I'm addicted to drugs. I drink all the time. I smoke. I fucking, I'm selling drugs. I fucking hate who I am. I had a really poor self-image of who I was. And um, I remember I had a pump-action shotgun back in the day and fucking grabbed it out and I was sitting on the end of my bed in the dark. It was at night time and, and I had it like the gun up under my chin and I was fucking like really, you know, I thought I'm going to fucking just finish myself off and that'll be that. It'll be like, it felt like it would be a better option at the time. And then I just held the gun under my chin and I was like, all I had to do was push down with my thumb and I just remember being in a pitch black room and then this colourful image of my son, you know, playing on the, the swing set like, you know those ones that rock back and forward like that? Yeah, you yeah. have two people on it. And we had one of them in our yard. And this colourful image of him swinging on that just coming to my head as I was about to, you know, go through with this um, suicide attempt. And and then, uh, and if anyone's triggered by this, just stop listening now. It's probably a bit late for that. But, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and then I just sort of, rah, I just got aggressive and I was, really trying to focus back on what I, the task at hand. And then I was like, ah, and then he just came, this, this another image just come in. Like there's an episode of the Simpsons where, you know, they, they daydream and there's like colorful thing going on. Like that's what it was like. And he came back and he was kicking a soccer ball, doof, 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 just like dribbling it along the grass. And I was like, fuck. And then I just literally, it was just like an epiphany and, at that moment, I just said to myself, I want to be a positive role model in my son's life. And that was the, the real turning point for me uh, at that point in my life. And then I just put, put the gun down and away. And then I made a really strong decision. Um, and I just decided that I didn't want to have anything to do with um, meth or amphetamines anymore. Didn't want to associate with anyone that does anything with that kind of thing. Um, so whatever stuff I had there, I used that up myself. And then after that, I just made a strong decision that I didn't want to use those kinds of drugs or be involved with it anymore. And how was that um, decision taken by your mates at that time and your brother and everything else around you? Um, yeah, look, um, I did have a couple of good people that were still in my life um, and you know, they say when you get rid of all the shit people in your life, the good people come and they stay. 100%. And they stay, you know. And I just knew that I had to cut all the shit people out and anyone that was using drugs, I had to try and cut them out because, you know, like you are the company you keep, you know what I mean? Like if your mates are, you know, uh, own gyms, you'll probably own a gym or your mates are, you know, your mates are all fat and obese and play video games, well, then you'll end up being a fat video gamer. You know what I mean? Or if your mates are 
uh, uh, entrepreneurs and business minded, then you will be too. And if your mates are taking drugs, well, then you're going to as well. So that's when I was like, boom, let's cut this shit out. You know, and that was a lonely experience. Um, and I knew it was going to be a hard road. Like I had a lot of support from my mum and my father. Like they were always very supportive and I'm extremely grateful of them. Um, and, and I had another mate that uh, that was my foreman um, in the tunnel and he always helped me get employment and that. He really looked like he was a few years older but he treated me like his brother. Um, so he helped me with employment and stuff like that. And um, But, yeah, like it was... It was hard. It was it was lonely, you know. And it's it's your mission now to kind of um, have a positive impact on like teenagers. Now that's kind of like a big focus of yours with resilience, yeah. Yeah, well, I think you know this story in itself. Like we only just sort of scratched the tip of the surface, but um, you know those that are around me in person will get on a deeper level again than that. It's, there's definitely a relatability there with myself and a lot of disengaged youth or, you know, um, youth that are just caught up in the scene with drugs, alcohol and crime and stuff like that. Um, you know, a lot of kids have been abused and they don't know who to turn to or who to look up to because there's no positive um, role models in their life, you know. Like I remember, you know, um, like I love my dad and stuff, but he was, he was, uh, he was very aggressive, you know, when we were younger. Um, you know, he'd drink a lot and he worked a lot and he was just fucking unhappy that he, you know, like, and I can imagine, like, um, you know, I, I'm a bit of a free spirit and I like to get out there and get amongst things and do what I want to do in life, not be stuck to a mortgage and stuck to a job and work in fucking more hours and I can see my family. Like, that would make anyone mad and, you know, you put alcohol on top of that and you put, you chuck your own sort of trauma and abuse that you've had in your own life on that and then you've got your own family, like, you know, but I'm not making excuses for anyone, but this is just how life is. You know, so the like my mother was very supportive and more emotional based, you know, and good to the level of understanding of where she was at. But like I sort of look at my father and he, he dealt with emotions with aggression and anger. You know, and that's and that's like for a lot of males now, like um, you know, a lot of people relate to this and say, Well, who do you turn to? as a child when your father's aggressive and that the only emotion that you understand is violence, you know? So I grew up being aggressive and violent, get into fights. Like I wouldn't start a lot of fights. I'd finish them. Um, but yeah, like it was, this made me mad and angry. I was just angry as and only up until like a few years ago, you know, I was always mad and angry. <laughs> um, yeah, 100%. And like I can see, um, where the violence has kind of started and, like, now you still have this love for martial arts. Let's tell us a little bit about the, like, I couldn't believe it. You'll show me videos of, like, the Big Ten boxing. Oh, yeah. yeah so, cool. it was, it, like, correct me if I'm wrong here, it's this banned in every state in Australia except Queensland. Yeah. I'll turn the camera so you can see this one here. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Fred Brophy's boxing trip. I'll just bring it over closer. So that's it there. Fred yeah, yeah. Brophy's famous boxing troop. Um, yeah, that's the one. So, yeah, I'll just fix this back up here. So Is that good position in there? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Let's simplify yeah. it. So you're one of the guys who travel with the tent and people come and watch? Yeah, and- yeah. So 
the, the first time that um, I ever got involved with the boxing tent, I just sort of cleaned myself up from the drugs, and that's probably 12 to 15 months after uh, I got clean and sober. Um, I just got into weights and started boxing again and got fitter. And um, a mate of mine said, oh, Mitch, the, um, the, the boxing tent's down at Cannon Hill, Brisbane South side. And he goes, you'll fight, come down, we'll go down, and you'll have a go. And he believed in me. It was like that, you know, I believe in your belief in me sort of thing. Anyway, went down there because I had a couple of Muay Thai fights previous to this and, and some hard sparring as a teenager. And, um, yeah, went down there and huge big circus tent just to paint the picture. You can look it up on YouTube and massive circus tent and, and like that canvas there, that exact portrait there, that exact thing is in the middle and there's paintings of other famous fighters that have fought in the tent and um, a big stage platform, and then everyone fights inside of this tent in, on, a, on a canvas uh, in, a, in like an arena sort of a style. And anyway, so Fred will bang his drum and he gets up on the stage and he's got a, you know, this particular beat to the drum, boom, ba-boom, 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 and then someone rings a bell at the same time. And uh, it's real like a, it makes you feel when you hear the sound of that drum like you're preparing for war. So it's like a hard-out war cry. That's how it feels for me anyway. But anyway, he said, I want, I want the best fighters in Brisbane to come up here and fight my guys. And he had a stack of all of his guys that had just walked out on the stage in their silky robes that were going to fight anyone who put their hand up. And I thought to myself, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not fighting any of these bastards. Anyway, um... I stand there in the crowd, and it must be my mate took me down there. His friend said, I want the best fighters in Brisbane. And I thought, fuck, that's not me. And then <laughs> he's behind me, and he must be pointing because then Fred goes, you, you can fight. I know you can fight. Get up here. And then I went, who, me? Like, looking like left and right. And then he's like, yeah, up you come. Man, my heart was like, and I was like, fucking, I couldn't back down from an opportunity like that. I'd been called out, you know. And um, so, yeah, went up there on the stage and he said, what's your name? And I said, Mitch Lingard. And he said, oh, Mitch Lingard, ladies. He's at the microphone. Mitch Lingard, ladies and gentlemen. So where are you from, Mitch? I said, North Brisbane. Said, North Brisbane, ladies and gentlemen. There's about two, 300 people out in the, in the, in the distance here. They're all going, yeah. And I thought, fuck, hell, this is cool. And then he said, you had any fights? And I said, oh, I've had a couple. And he goes, you had any street fights? So, yeah, about a couple. He goes, I like this bloke, ladies and gentlemen. He's honest. Okay, take yourself a position down the board there. And then what he did was he got this other young fella and uh, me and the other uh, young footy player dude, we did a tag team match against these other guys. Um, yeah, and I did really well against them. We fought um, Joe Sweeney, better known as Butterbean in the boxing tent, and uh, – Jimmy Shannon, he's uh, inducted into the uh, Muay Thai Hall of Fame for Queensland. Uh, he's now known as Kid Valentine. And uh, we did a tag team match against them, and uh, that was a lot of fun. We had a really tough, good fight, and I did well. And uh, Fred then said, listen here, young fella, I'd like you to fight for us. And uh, I said, oh, I'd, I'd be really honoured to, Fred. And then, yeah, so now I've been travelling around with the tent for like seven years, been all over Queensland, Mount Isa, Birdsville, Bundaberg, Cairns, um, Kunnamulla, Roma, um, Brisbane. Um, yeah, like just everywhere. 
Burnett Heads, you know, Burnett Heads and Celery, Maura. Um, yeah, I've been heaps of places, man. So you had just like have- 40, I think I've had 44, 45 fights in the tent now. Yeah, so you just travel around with the tent and you got no idea who's going to come out. could be the biggest, baddest dude from wherever you're at and you've got to take him on. And he normally gives me the biggest, baddest dudes too. <laughs> yeah, because it was after the Real Movement Camp you went to Birdsville. Yeah. And I yeah, had a photo up on socials with Danny Green. Yeah, yeah. I actually was manifesting so that I'd fight him when I was out there. Because um, I heard he was green, he was coming out and... Um, yeah, I was like, fuck, what an honour if I, he put his hand up and I got to punch on with Danny Green, that'd be mad. So I was like, manifesting that, but um, it didn't end up happening. He actually came into the camp and we had a good yarn and then he said, oh, how do I get one of your Fred Brophy collar shirts? And I said, well, if you come to the camper, um, I'll give you one. And he's like, yeah, mad. So we became really, really good mates while we were out there. Danny Green and I actually helped pads for us. And um, yeah, we got along really well. So we, we're still sort of talking on and off to this day, Danny and I, he's top bloke. Yeah, sweet, the people you meet. And, oh, um, mate, yeah, it's unreal. Like, we get treated like celebrities in the tent just because I think it's such a unique, like, uh, a dying part of Australian history and this world sort of history. Like, it's it's banned in every state in Australia except for uh, WA. It's allowed in WA. And Fred actually said to me, if I go to WA, would you come over and fight? So once this stuff all finishes, there's a chance we might actually get to Perth. Is it banned in Queensland now? Um, no, it's not banned in Queensland. Yeah. No. So, so what, yeah, that's what super gloves are you using with this? Oh, mate, they're not the best. <laughs> um, it's proper, yeah, it's proper yeah. like Yeah, 12-ounce gloves, no headgear. Yeah. Um, I've had some, I've had like kick fights in the tent as well. Um. Well, you have like, you know, just wear shin guards. Sometimes we don't wear shin guards. And then, yeah, we just go for it. What's your record? 40-something fights, you said? Yeah, I've never actually um, lost in the tent. Um, I've been bashed up pretty good, but <laughs> uh, I remember at Harvey Bay, uh, I got dropped by some big Simon Leomano from uh, Harvey Bay. I was, I was, I was actually... Um, breaking up with my ex at the time and I had my young fellow with me. He wasn't allowed in. He was standing on top of a um, he was standing on top of a willy bin looking over the fence. So he's outside there. My ex and I on the point I was breaking up, my head wasn't in it, but not taking nothing away from him, dropped me on my ass. First punch of the of the fight, first round. He just come over and he just baited me. He drew me in, he just waited and he came overhand right, just iced me on the ground. And we were doing a tag team match. And if you see Simon, he's a big dude, like uh, big, uh, big Samoan dude, like big traps. looks like Ninja Turtle. And, um, yeah, and he iced me on the ground. I got up and I tagged Kojak, um, Aaron Corden from the tent, Kojak, one of the veterans, and I tagged him. He's come in there punching on. And I quickly gathered myself. Before I knew it, I was back in there punching on again. And Fred really got caught up in the fight itself. And generally, when we're doing a tag team match, it's two-minute rounds. And uh, it ended up being like about a four-minute 50 round. <laughs> and this went over the course of three rounds for like four, nearly four or five minutes each round. <laughs> and what actually ended up happening was um, they gassed out. We copped the hide, but they gassed out, so that gave us the win. Um, but if it had been sort of like a one-on-one, he, he would have got me. 
you know, would have been alive on that first punch. <laughs> you don't have to tell us that. Oh, look, I'm honest, I don't <laughs> care. But, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, 100%. And you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say I can punch on the dude like that, you know, when my head's not in there and still survive it. <laughs> 100%. Like, I, I've been you know? any fights myself, but I can't imagine the adrenaline rush, you know. Like, even the, oh. there's not a fitness like it is once you get in there and then you mix the adrenaline like it. Mm, the adrenaline just runs hectic, like, um, yeah, it's you can be as fit as anything, but the nerves will get you if you let them, you know. Yeah, 100%. So you mentioned earlier that you're living, like, a very holistic um, lifestyle now. What are some, like, practices that you, you use um, sort of on a daily, weekly basis? Yeah, um, yeah, good question. Uh, look, it all comes down to your mindset and 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 burning in new new programs, new patterns. Our brain's like a computer; we can just keep uploading information, or or even put it this way, we can keep unlocking what's already inside of us by doing things and uh, being consistent with it, with doing things. Take juggling, for example. You know, um, we all know how to juggle. We just got to unlock doing it, and you unlock it by doing it all the time. You can you can really. I uh, listened to a podcast the other day about that. It's it's unlocking things, not building patterns. You know, we've all got things inside of us. We just got to unlock them. So practices for me, uh, I've got a thing called uh, winning the day philosophy, and I've incorporated things that I've learned from everywhere and put it into one. And winning the day philosophy would be get up when you plan to, leave your phone outside of your room, so your alarm. You actually have to physically get out of bed to turn it off and without hitting snooze, and then go straight from that into a cold shower. I seen you posted the other day about you've been doing cold showers for 100-something days. 201 this morning. I've cracked the 200. Yeah, there you go. Um, So that's been a massive thing, cold shower. Um, So get up when you plan to, alarm outside of the room, straight into a cold shower, then make your bed, make it as good as you can. That's a Timmy Ferris thing, hey? He swears by making your bed. Like, at least if you have a shit day, you get home and you've made your bed, you've got a fresh bed to get into. I think nowadays yeah. a lot of people aren't making their bed. No, they're really not. You know, if I, if I don't make my bed, I feel like, like useless bastard, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel now because it's just programmed in. Yeah. You know? Um, well, I was always kind of into making the bed, you know what I mean? I like it being nice and neat. Um, once you make your bed, drink water, get hydrated. You know, if you sleep six to eight, nine, depending on how many hours, 10 hours a night you sleep, you'll probably be dehydrated, you know. Um, so have some water. Then I like to do uh, what I call get grounded or get earthed. So go out onto the grass. I've got a beautiful tree in the backyard here, a beautiful big red gum. It's got a lot of birds that come in the morning and stuff. And um, I go out there and I'll just stare at the tree standing on the grass and you know, it's something about being barefoot in nature that gives you that. It's like electromagnetic frequency from the earth, especially now that's a bit cooler being April. You know, it's like the moisture from the grass and then it just into your body and helps you become one with nature, um, getting earth, getting grounded. And then while I do that, I like to try and find a couple of things that I'm grateful for. Like, oh, I'm grateful for a beautiful day or the sun or, you know, I'm grateful that I didn't shit the bed last night or, you know, I'm grateful of the day ahead or my business or my family, my partner, my, my kids, you know. Um, 
and then uh, do some breathing exercises, um, you know, as simple as breathe in for five, hold it for five, breathe out for the count of five, and then hold it out for the count of five. You know, that's a simple one to do. Um, How long do you do your breathing for in the mornings? Oh, just until I feel better, you know, just until I feel a bit of a shift. Like even that one breath there, I was like, oh, yeah, less anxious, less anxious, more present. Um, 100%. A lot of people fly through a day 100 miles an hour and wouldn't even know they've taken a breath, you know. And, you know, I can tell you, I'm I'm a very anxious person. I might not seem it, but but I am. I'm all the time. And when I, it's actually when I do the breathing, I think, holy hell, like, man. I was so anxious, you know, and you don't even know, you don't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Like, you really don't. Um, and when you just stop and breathe, you know, that's amazing. And then try and throw yourself into a workout, like these few things. So that's winning the day. Get up when you plan to, cold shower, um, hydration, make your bed, get earth, gratitude, breathing deeply. For a period until you feel better because we want to feel better now and then throw yourself into a workout it's like eight things there or something if you hit even just four of those you win the morning you win the day period only four you got to hit and i can tell you now if you hit all eight of those you're gonna have a freaking awesome day like you really are yeah 100 percent. i love it i love it and you're like taking a real curve and you're very strict with your nutrition nowadays yeah, I, 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 try, I tell you what, last year in particular, um, once I did the first intensive with the Real Movement at Keegan's Place in Yuki, we ate meat, rice and eggs for that weekend. Um, I had been strict before I went there, but it was just strictly meat, rice and eggs. And I can tell you now, I ate meat, rice and eggs for about 95% of my meals last year. And it was the first year, as well as doing the um, winning the morning philosophy, the first year that I could honestly say that I did not have have to have antibiotics when I got the flu. Because generally I get the flu and then I get a chest infection and then I need antibiotics. I didn't have to have antibiotics last year following a meat-based diet and doing the winning the day philosophy. So that goes to tell you, I'm one person who's had antibiotics every day from, oh, not every day, but I mean every year or every couple of months from like the age of 12, 13. 100%. I remember when I first started doing cold showers, my mum said to me, that's ridiculous, Logan, you're going to end up sick. And here I am 200 days later and I haven't been sick yet. Yeah, exactly. Literally, you know, you're actually building your immune system and your tolerance to the cold and elements and everything else. Yeah, I actually was at, uh, I think it was that intensive that you were at. at It was where you were diving in the ice bath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that your first ever ice bath? bath? And I thought, this is unreal. So straight after that, (laughs) intensive, I went and got myself, we did a lot of sleds, remember? And um, I I went and got some uh, turf and a sled and I went and bought a 700-litre bait freezer from the local auction. So I've been doing the I've got a 700-litre freezer here now at home. I get in there every week, you know, sometimes every day. Yeah, I went and bought one as well, so I've got one set up yeah. at the gym. And the first couple of times, it's a little bit intimidating, but it's actually amazing how good you feel after it. And like oh. I, 
track heart rate variability and things like that. And when my heart rate variability is low and I jump in the ice bath, the next day it's like instantly um, a lot better. Yeah, it's, it's quite unreal. Like you can be extremely tired and then you get in there and you just, bang, you are on. Like especially, you know, if you dunk your head in, been sort of doing that a little bit lately and that's that just makes it even all the more better. <laughs> and if you can dunk your head in within the first minute when you get in, when it's like that really um, uh, fight or flight mode and that first sort of minute tough, if you get in there and dunk your head, man, that's just like, whew. Yeah, 100%. Pure Um, energy. Potsy mentioned that since he's had his ice bath, he used that as kind of his little energy hit instead of coffee. He hadn't had a coffee for I can't remember how long, but that's he traded the coffee for the ice bath. Yeah, like they say that it stimulates you depending on how long you're in the cold for uh, between like four and six hours, and that's longer and stronger than a cup of coffee. Yeah. How long do you I find find coffee or caffeine to be sort of – um, I have one before, but I can sort of feel it a little bit now. Like it can act sort of a, as an X-reactor for me. Like I can feel like my ears burn a bit and I might feel a bit fatigued. Um, I always try and go for like at least a bottle of water before I have coffee just to stay hydrated because it can dehydrate you. 100%. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, Wim Hof breathing, you're big on that? Mate, yeah, I did a lot of that last year. Not so much this year. I was actually only thinking yesterday, I do some more Wim Hof breathing. I think it's unreal. Um, did it with a lot of people. Uh, one guy, because uh, I ran a, um, a pilot project, because we've got a program called Movement Mindfulness Mentorship, um, ran a pilot project last year with a guy that used to inject um, speed. And uh, I give him this Wim Hof breathing technique to do. And he said he got the same rush from doing the Wim Hof breathing as injecting pure speed. So... <laughs> Get high on your own supply. That's Wim's uh, little quote, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, apparently it is. And, you know, and, and you just heard it firsthand yourself there. You know, um, I've done a lot of different drugs in my time and I, I, I think that the deep breathing is probably, you know, one of the most powerful things you can do. I'll actually do one right now with you if you like. Yeah, 100%. So this is a this is a I learned this from the grandmaster in my karate style. I'll show you the style here. I'll just turn that. Um, see yeah, that yeah. Anderson Bushy guy? Yeah. So his name his name is Malcolm Anderson and I came in there when I was training for my first degree black belt last year and I was really a bit run down. He showed us this breathing technique and then since I've been doing it, mate, it's quite amazing. So what you want to do is you now? Uh, yeah, you can do it standing. You, you can pass out from it, but um, but yeah, I, I like to do it standing. Makes it more fun. Yeah. Can you see me all right from there? Yeah, yeah. So what you want to do is you go left hand under right, and we'll do one slow breath in through the nostrils, and we'll fill our lungs up full of air, and then once the lungs are fully at capacity, we're going to push that air into our belly button. And we're going to hold that air in our belly button for the count of 10 seconds. Okay, then we're going to release. You'll get lightheaded if you do it correctly. And just practice this. I can honestly tell you right now, I've done this for one breath, one repetition of this, completely bringing myself into the present moment, more powerful, more effective than the Wim Hof breathing itself from one breath. 
So try all this, practice it. I'll demonstrate it for you the first time and then I'll run through how it works, all right? Yep. Let's move this stool so I don't knock myself out of it if I faint. <laughs> okay, so breathing it slowly. You, you bring your hands up as you breathe in. Mate, that was absolutely amazing. 100%, yeah. Like it takes and, a full couple of rounds of Wim Hof probably to get that feeling. And, and like that was just one breath, literally. I feel absolutely grateful, blessed, happy. Uh, I, did, I did slightly go down. I've done it a lot of times. When I feel that, I just sort of bend my knees. The um, knees over tough, <laughs> knees over t- toes stuff helps with that. But just feeling very grateful from one breath. Um, you can do it over three, but yeah, from one breath. So what I did was just took a slow inward breath through my nostrils, and I keep expanding my lungs till I get to capacity. Then I just use that extra bit to then. Can you see my belly? Yeah. Then I just push that out. And really force that air into there so you actually feel quite a lot of pressure from the inside of your abdominals pointing out, facing out. And I hold that in there so I can feel my brain or my head start to get very lightheaded. 10 seconds, sometimes close to 15, um, just depending on how well you do it. And then I slowly release, and that's when I sort of just went down because I felt so, so um, lightheaded. And that's just exactly it. That's how you do it. Yeah, 100, love it. Everyone can do that, you know. Yeah, it's, it's something that I encourage all the listeners to dive a little bit deeper into is some breathing techniques because it's um, amazing for de-stressing, feeling better. Um, and who doesn't want to feel better? Oh, yeah, and we want to feel better now, you know, not when I get that new job or not when I, you know, when it's Friday or you not want to knock off. Like we want to feel better right now all the time. Some people have said to me, oh, you can't be happy every day. That's bullshit. You should be happy every day. Or we should be striving to be happy every day. If you're not feeling happy, what are you doing? Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? Like you need to change whatever it is that you're doing. Like we we should actually be peaceful and happy and to the best of our ability. I know some days they're not going to be as good as others. And believe me, I've had some shit days. (laughs) But, you know, I, I like to try and feel good all the time and try and do that by not taking drugs or alcohol. You know, if you need alcohol or drugs to to feel good or to, you know, go to a barbecue and you've got to have, you know, some drinks and you've got to have lines of coke, you know, all this kind of shit, right? And believe me, I'm guilty of that. Um, you know, you got to have a good look at that. If you need a drink to feel good, there's something wrong. Alcohol is poison. You know, they say that marijuana is the gateway drug. That's bullshit. Okay, marijuana is actually has its own healing element to it. Preferably not hydroponic, but bush weed that grows outdoors. There's been so much research and science around that now. Like um, uh, someone I know has got Parkinson's and they shake a lot. They smoke a bush joint and, mate, their they're, they're shaking stops. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and promote 
you know, smoking pot or anything like that. So I know it can make people extremely lazy if they have um, big doses of that. But in small therapeutic doses, it's very good for you, you know. And they say that pot is the gateway drug, but unfortunately, they have that incorrect. Alcohol is the gateway drug. All the bad decisions that I've ever made in my own life came from alcohol first. Yeah, 100%. Like back when I was younger, I used to be like quite like a really live for the weekends drinker type. And nowadays, like yeah. I only said to Melissa today because I'm in the middle of doing 75 hard, which is zero alcohol, 75 days. We're about day 20. Yeah. Um, and like there'll be a time in my life where I won't drink. There's no doubt about that. Like I don't know where, it is, where it'll be, but like I don't really enjoy um, the person I am when I drink. That's kind of the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a hard realization to come to sometimes too. Yeah, like you know, people are just stupid on alcohol. They really are. Like you know, um, a lot of people like you know they they, they need they need it to feel like more relaxed and these kind of things. It's, it's extremely addictive. You know, like I, I'm, I'm grateful and fortunate enough to have broken um, the, the generational. Uh, the generation of alcoholism stops at me so my son doesn't have to uh, deal with or experience that, you know. I think a lot of it is generational, you know. Um, you know, we, we like the foods that our parents ate, just kind of thing, you know. If, if your parents smoke, you probably will smoke, you know what I mean? Like um, if your parents drink, you drink. If your parents like seafood, well, then you might like seafood or steak or whatever it may be, you know. Yeah, and as a parent myself now, like I'm a little bit more aware, but I can I can really see how it um, my actions are setting the pathway for my you know boys. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, for sure, man. What uh, what's some of your proudest moments as a coach? Oh, awesome! Yeah, uh, proudest moments as a coach. I had a lady, um, Tracy Rush. Shout out to you, Tracy. Uh, since she's been with me, she's lost 25 kilos. Uh, I think she was 150 or 160 kilos. Um, she lost 25 kilos and she she's 47 and she had a fight in the um, in the, the Masters tournament um, on the Sunshine Coast. And, uh, yeah, she got a draw there against uh, a lady that was like, I think, 15 years younger than her. Um, I think I would have given it the way of Tracy, but just because they were both, um, you know, both big girls having a go, and I think it was they, they called it a draw. But yeah, it was such an unreal experience to take her through this journey and then put her in the ring and for her to have a good outcome like that, um, mate. That was out of all the fights that I won, I was more proud um, doing that. Um, yeah, another proud moment is like running the karate dojo and. Um, you know, taking people from they, when they first walk in to teaching them carters and teaching them punches, kicks and elbows, blocks, striking movement to then them grading and getting belts. That's, a, that's an unreal experience, you know. Um, and just helping people like now doing a lot of one-on-ones, just helping people feel better in their body, become more mobile, you know, less pain-free. Like that's, that's fucking unreal. And that's, and that's, has everything and I, I give it all the credit to real movement and um, the connections that I've learned in there you know athletic truth group knees over toes uh, and Lucas Aaron have been doing his stuff for uh, you know the, the April range of strength sprint 
that's changed like my whole business again, just learning stuff myself and then, you know, teaching it to others. So I'm really excited for the learning side of movement and where I can take it, you know. Yeah, and I think this is what separates um, the average coaches to the good coaches. They're not prepared to learn um, what's new. You can't just keep doing what you've always done because if you keep doing that, yeah. you're going to get what you've always gotten. Um, there's always something new to learn. And that's like me, like a Friday I'm doing like an online, like two weeks ago we did that real movement three days online thing this weekend. There's another online thing like spending this time to, you know, learn some new stuff so it can implement. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Here's a good one. You know, you've got to ask yourself, how teachable am I? How teachable are you? You know, how teachable am I? You've got to give yourself a number out of 10. Okay? So give yourself a number out of 10, how teachable am I? Then what is your willingness to accept change? So give yourself a number out of 10 and then times those two together. So what do you got? Well, how teachable are you? Are we adding them or times in them? Times in them. 25. So, okay, so what was your first one? Five and five. Okay, so your result then in learning something new would be 25% out of 100. Yeah. Or changing something that you're doing. So how teachable am I? What is my willingness to accept change? If you're high in both of those fields, you're going to do really, really well in whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, and like the thing that I've kind of um, try to work on for myself is really try and take note of who I'm taking advice off, though. Like, Mate, that's, take yeah. advice off people who are in the arena, not the people who are outside talking about it. Absolutely. And that's like the next thing I was about to say, and you went straight to is perfect, is who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Like if I'll list, I'll take a hundred percent in off someone who I know is you know got my best interests at heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I think, and I teach this to a lot of people. I'm going to do the mentoring at schools and stuff like that as well. Like, who do you listen to? And they sort of like, oh, well, they listen to me. And I'm like, well, no, you can't listen to yourself if you're not getting the results that you want, or you're doing the same shit over and over again. You're not the best person to get advice from. You know what I mean? Um. So I'd seek out people that you look up to, you know, mentors, experts in their field. Um, you know, you can have a mentor that's not even alive. You know, you can look look at someone like Muhammad Ali or, you know, someone like that. They could be a mentor for you, people that have written amazing books. You listen to these people, you know, um, this kind of thing. Yeah, 100%. Who would have thought, mate, that you'd be sitting here talking about this at, you know, age 18. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's, it's been really cool. Like I think, you know, me having these injuries, such severe injuries, like at 13 they wanted to chop my back open and operate and all this kind of jazz and I was like, fuck that. You know, I was really like, no one's doing that to me. And um, with the amount of injuries that I'm carrying in the back and still, you know, I found real movement and then all this mobility stuff and the way that working out now it's changing the shape of my back and then now I feel because I'm so injured that it's making me a better coach because I've always wanted to improve myself because I I spent all that time you know feeling sorry for myself and 
making excuses, living in denial, you know, and, and abusing drugs and alcohol because I was just so depressed and so unhappy with, with what had happened to me, living in that sort of victim mentality. So I've been through all that shit, you know, and being injured now and then I just want to keep improving my own health. Um, I think then now I can teach others. It's quite amazing that I'm on this journey and I think I'm grateful. <laughs> Probably never said this before, but I'm grateful that I, I've had a bad back, you know. 100%. You've just, you've, I've got five questions to ask you to finish off, but I think you've nailed nearly all of them in it. Tell me yeah. something about you that no one would know. <laughs> You've yeah. told us a fair bit. Yeah. 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 Um, I'll tell you, if I don't, I'll tell you something that I, um, in relation to that question, the first one would be if I don't hit my targets and I feel like I haven't had a good week, I don't feel very good mentally. If I feel like I'm in the same place this week as I was last week, I don't feel very good at all. Yeah. Um, I feel like almost suicidal. I feel like I'm not growing because if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah, I love that, mate. I love that. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? That's a good question. Oh, man, that's a really good one. There's so much really good advice. Best piece of advice ever been given? Um, you've got to be your own hero. Yeah, 100. You know... Yeah, best piece of advice, don't live below the line. Don't don't make excuses, blame others and live in denial. Live above the line, hold yourself accountable, hold yourself responsible and take, you know, uh, and take ownership. Yeah, that that came from that same rural movement camp. Um, yeah. And Lyndon Holzheimer. Lyndon, yeah. yeah. Me, brother. And then that really hit home for me, you know, like he just had a whiteboard and he drew a line right across the centre. Yeah. And he's like, what's this? And it was just like obviously above the line and below the line. And if you're yeah. below the line, you're complaining, you're blaming, you're making excuses, you're doing this, you're doing that. And like it was kind of like a little thing that I kind of took away as well, but it's kind of forgotten a little bit about it till you just mentioned it then. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. If I had seen that at a younger age, things probably would have been a lot different, you know. Yeah, hundred Sim- percent. Simplistic way to hold yourself accountable, like you know, there's nothing more um, real than looking in the mirror. Yeah. If you don't like what you see, then you need to make some big fucking changes, you know. Yeah. Michael Jackson sings about it. He's stuck with the man in the mirror, and it's so true. You you are stuck with that person in the mirror, and. I had a couple of young trainees at the gym and, you know, they, I just wanted them to level up a bit and I was like, all right, he's here, he's want, he's want to change, he's want to grow, like not just in your body but in your mind and in, in your emotions. I was like, I got them to stand in front of the mirror for a minute straight. They couldn't do it, you know, and look at themselves in, into their own soul, you know. I think it's a good test. It's a good, good test of character as well, you know. Look deeply into your soul because a lot of people are getting out here, you know, getting around on their ego and their, and their bluff and their bullshit, but they're miserable, they're insecure, they're, you know what I mean? You get a lot of big steroid users and that, like they're pee-hearted and scared, you know, that's why they're using steroids. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? It's, it's sad because, you know, it's just like a lot of people need a hug, not, you know what I mean? And that, 
you find some of the most the loudest person in the room isn't necessarily the the, the, the their bark's worse than their bite. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, but yeah, like you see through it eventually. Like if you back yourself enough and you're not scared, like of someone being a big person getting around on their size, a lot of people do that. You know, I've seen it firsthand. Like when I was teaching martial arts at the world gym. Uh, teaching boxing and stuff, fighters class up there. You see all these big people getting around weightlifting. None of them wanted to come and do the boxing class probably because they would be then exposed for, you know, who they were. And they got yep. around on their ego being a big person, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, like, as a human, we don't like doing things that we're not good at sometimes. Yeah, and definitely not. good at it is by doing it. Yeah, no one wants to be seen at the bottom. We all like to be at the top, eh? Yeah, it's like when I started doing karate, like I, was, I was a white belt, you know. Black belt was a long, long way away, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're always like, when you're going through that, like if you're in a system like that where there's rankings, um, you know, you don't want to be seen at the bottom and you're always like, oh, I want to get to black, I want to get to black, I want to get to black. And then when you get to black, you're like, oh, okay. It feels like starting. I'll tell you what, becoming a black belt is like starting high school. So it feels like. You're all excited, a bit nervous, but you're more excited. You just can't wait to get there. And you get there and you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I've only learned the basic stuff. <laughs> I, I think don't know anything. That's what you feel like. <laughs> I think what martial arts teaches you is a, um, something that everyone's missing is like the consistency and the staying strong to your word. Like if you're a black belt, you've stayed consistent and you've done the work. Oh, for sure. It's, it's um, yeah, it's it's quite an achievement um to do it. Very pri- privileged and proud that could accomplish such a feat, you know. Yeah, you should um, be, mate. The, the 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 training never leaves you. Like especially in times like now, like people are like oh, I don't know what to do. I don't have a gym. You know, everything we ever did in the dojo was without any kind of equipment. Everything's bare hands, like. Just being like a, a a naked body, you know what I mean. You, there's nothing else. So if you're like, look at it like this in a sense, like if you're, you know, just say the world just stop electricity, internet, everything, and then we're just left. You know, you're just left with the skills that you've acquired throughout your life. You know, um, and that was definitely a good one. It teaches you how to become physically strong in your body, do different body weight workouts, do different patterns, breathing techniques. Um, it teaches you how to stand properly, you know, it teaches you situation awareness so you're aware of your surroundings where there may be a threat or you may get hurt or it just teaches you how to hold yourself better and, and read the play of situations, you know. A lot of people think that nothing will ever happen to them in their life, you know. And there's been a lot of situations just from martial arts training that have helped save my life and save the lives of others um, just because you get into that nice, sharp, primitive um frame of mind where you can you can think um and become like stay calm and and, and more focused than what others others um can do because they haven't had that kind of training yeah 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 so i highly recommend everyone do some form of martial arts it will take your whole self to the next level like i love boxing i love muay thai um, they're just not as strict as, as karate or something like that where you're going to wear a gi and a, and a belt um, where you have to bow into the room and 
stand still and not move, um, you know, unless you're told to. You've got to drop down your knees and tie your belt and do meditation on your knees. Uh, it's just amazing stuff. And it's all there for us to, to do and learn. And, you know, it's just depending on what you want to do with your life, I guess. But I highly recommend it. It's good stuff. Yeah, good tips, mate. Is there anything that's happened to you that you thought would be the worst thing in your life that's turned out to be a blessing? Yeah, probably um, probably the injury in my back. I was very advanced for my age. Like I was very good at football and I was when I was 9 and 10, I, I was going out with 13, 14-year-old girls. Um, and I, I think if I had a kept a really good back, I would have been in footy and kept, went into NRL, but I would have probably been a real cocky dickhead, you know, um, and because I was probably very cocky when I was younger, just the ability that I had at such a young age, um, and my physical body was so strong and everything, and I probably just would have stayed really cocky and been a bit of a dick if I had kept being in it, like played the footy. And and, I, and, I, and I'm grateful now, like I said before, like that I, that I didn't get injured because it's taught me so much. It's taken me on that journey of self destruction to then you know go through all of that almost taking my own life to then come out the other side and, and now sort of want to mentor and help the community and help others that are struggling um, with their own mental health and physical health. I'd, I'd love to uh, help improve their health and uh, I, I really feel that's my purpose and, and my journey now. Yeah, love it, mate, love it. And that leads into the next question and, you know, thinking bigger, um, where do you want to be in five years? Yeah, I'd love to have... Um, multiple acreage facilities where I could help rehabilitate people mentally, physically, and emotionally. Um, so like, you know, gym set up um, with a place where we can stay, swimming pool on each location, um, just to run that proper health and fitness, mental um, rehabilitation re- retreat sort of a style um, where people literally come in um, no matter what walk of uh, life they are or what mental capacity they're at and they just and they become mentors and then they can teach others, you know, based on the philosophies and the things that I've learned and then instill into them. Mate, there's no doubt you're going to change lots of lives. Thanks, man. Question five, favourite quote? Um, yeah, success is the progressive realisation of your worthy ideal. Bob Proctor. Uh, no, Earl Nightingale. Earl Nightingale, it is too. Yeah, yeah Earl Nightingale. Yeah, love it. Where do, where do listeners find you to reach out if they want to ask any questions? Yeah, um, The Art of Resilience on Instagram. Yeah. Um, or Mitchell Lingard on Facebook. Sort of since this has happened, I haven't really done a great deal on my business um, pages. So it's been pumping my own one. And I've changed it from Mitch Lingard to The Art of Resilience. Yeah, nice, mate. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out, jumping on. Yeah, awesome, bro. Thanks for having me, man. And yeah, I hope um, I hope people uh, leaned in and took something away from today, and it helps them on their journey. Yeah, I'm sure they will, mate. Thanks for thanks very much. Appreciate it. Awesome, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. No more. I'm sick of us not doing this right. That's why I think I'm cutting you from my life. 
No more wasted energy spinning to pace for every hour of wait. I need an escape to center me. And I don't mean to make a rush for the door, but times a currency, I'm currently poor. I'll be leaving it soon. I don't mean to be rude, but this scene ain't for me. Like your mom's seeing you. Listening, guys, if you liked it, take a screenshot, post it on your Instagram story, and tag Logan Thorpe and Logan Thorpe Fitness. I'm really excited about the episodes I've got coming up. If you haven't done so already, jump over and leave a review and a comment. Till next time.